While everyone above me dined, I took my time admiring the embroidery on the queen's dress. As the queen was very still, I could look my fill. Her skirts were covered in a pattern of interlacing branches, each leaf and blossom perfect in every detail. There was even a tiny nest at the hem, with two even smaller golden eggs nestled inside. I wondered who else but me would ever see them. I did notice that the cuffs of the king's trousers matched the embroidery on the queen's dress. A pair of thrushes perched side by side on an embroidered branch just visible above his boots. Atolia's hottest museum is under the banquet table. <laughs> Welcome, disgruntled attendants. I'm Noelle. And I'm Caitlin. And this is the Atolian Archives, your Queen's Thief reread podcast to help you recover from Return of the Thief. It's October 10th, 2021, and today we are discussing Chapter 2 of Return of the Thief. Ah! Still can't believe we're here. <sighs> Our little baby podcast's all grown up. <laughs> Still feels weird to be able to open the book and like read it. You know, like, you know when a book is new, you're like, this feels like a dream. <laughs> Still there a little bit. And it's so fat. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the print is very large, is a factor. But it's also long. Mm-hmm. So this chapter opens, uh, Ferris, he's, he's got a, a great flair for the dramatic, because he starts off with, Eugenides, the king of Atolia, was waiting. He was waiting for something, and then they brought me in. <laughs> Ooh, actually, this is about me. <laughs> uh, and Jen is, uh, he's sitting, he's waiting in a hot topic. There's a black and red ceiling. Very fit the mood. And they don't know that Ferris is coming. They think it's going to be Juridius. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks of Ferris's arrival as this joke that's been played on the king and he has to get rid of Ferris as soon as possible. And yeah. Eugenius says, no, we're not going to do that. And also, uh, the way everybody's suggesting get rid of him is murder. Just just kill him. That's how we solve our problems around here, <laughs> mister. And is this where we talk about the fact that, you know, Jen says in this chapter or Ferris narrates something like that. That uh, Jen had stipulated a child young enough to be raised in the palace away from the treacherous in- uh, influences of his family, all that. And then uh, Jen never appoints anyone to raise him. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> he's just surrounded by people who are trying to kill him when Jen isn't looking. And there's nobody to tell him to go to bed on time or to develop morals or, like, not succumb to your family's murderous influences. <laughs> You're right. He just has, like, he has no designated mm. supervision. Right. He's just, he's thrown into a, set, a frat house full of guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, you know, I read this for the first time and I was like, I think there's a flaw in this plan. Jen doesn't know anything about children. <laughs> and, you know, okay, like, he fixes this. You know, Jen does come to the realization, like, wait a minute, Ferris, I've done you a wrong. Let's be friends. You know, Relius gets in charge of him. Whatever. It works out. But, you know, a little bit surprised they didn't have anything planned from the beginning for Juridius. Yeah, what <laughs> were they going to do with Juridius? Uh, just make him an attendant and hope that that worked out? Yeah. I mean, they just lucked out that Ferris uh, is not on good terms with the Susa or Arendides people. But imagine if 
Gerides had come, like, you know, full of plots, you know, his mother and grandfather would have been like, okay, here's your job, this is what you do. He would have been 100% on his family's side. Yeah. So, like, what were they gonna do in that case? I guess Jen was gonna do another elaborate win his heart through machinations scheme. We get the we get the beginning inklings that of course he's not taking Ferris at face value just in this chapter. He doesn't look away from Ferris. He considers him carefully, like as a person. You know, I think we have to consider the possibility that Jen knew about Ferris and meant to have Ferris yeah. all along. You know? I think that would be completely in line with this. Yeah. You know, Jen knows not to discount the discounted. And They'd recorded Ferris's birth in the palace and then nobody had ever heard anything else about him and they assumed that he had died. But mm-hmm. Jen has his ways. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I had never thought of that. But of course, of course he would know that, you know? He knows everything about everybody. Yeah, all the time. And he can't, he can't do anything else and appear angry about this because Arendides would know he's been tricked. Yeah. <laughs> but it is interesting didn't seem to have okay maybe i'm getting ahead of myself but uh you know he doesn't seem to have anything in place against ferris working with arendides because he's able to later yeah so i mean i i guess maybe we can save this for a later date and discuss it then but that is interesting just you know thinking about what if he set up from the beginning versus not there's a haphazard feeling to it yeah and the queen wants Jen to send him back. And Jen says, like, oh, even if I send him back, I wouldn't get Juridius in his place. And even though Jen knows uh, a lot of stuff about a lot of people, not necessarily everything, but maybe everything all the time, Ferris, um, he's been really out of the loop of mm-hmm. the world. He listens where he can, but he doesn't know about Sejanus. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't know why he's here. He doesn't know about the disgrace of the House of Arendides. Yeah. When they're, they reference Sejanus, like, well, he sucked. And Ferris is surprised because he always thought that Sejanus was well regarded. Yeah. Because he, I mean, he used to be. And we see here, too, that uh, Sejanus was the only member of Ferris's family that was ever nice to him, even a little bit. Just, like, giving him food under the table. And Ferris is treated so badly that that's all it takes. Yeah. And that's some oh. foreshadowing of their later, the later development of their relationship and Sejanus. Mm-hmm. I like that we, the readers, know Helen and Sophos so well. And we've had all this built up for their relationship. And then Ferris sleeps through their wedding. I was a little bit mad, but I got <laughs> over it. <laughs> I was just so happy to hear at the beginning of the book that they're married. Like, that was all I wanted out of the front anyway, so whatevs. It's not important to Ferris. Yeah. The attendants are mostly shitty mm-hmm. to Ferris, except for Philologos, yeah. basically. Who Ferris narrates, I remembered Philologos for his kindness. Mm-hmm. Which you have to kind of wonder, is that also foreshadowing? Saying, I remembered him. Yeah. Oh. Mm. And the, the, the way that he's treated by the attendants kind of ranges from uh, outrageous cruelty to kind of mean teasing mm-hmm. there's a there's a spectrum there there's a little bit of like hey ferris we've got a secret swimming pool you know <laughs> and ferris uh did not know that eugenides was missing a hand mm-hmm. 
And then one of the attendants says, like, oh, the qu- oh no, yeah, Philologus says, the queen cut it off. And then someone else said, don't annoy the queen. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, like, Ferris walks behind the king and queen uh, and notices, like, the queen is just as powerful as the king, like, you know, like, mirrored in people's reactions. And he narrates... Um, like everyone else was ready to respond in an instant to their least direction. And that sentence, that phrase just got me thinking about how like in 2021, you and I don't know what that feels like at all. Like we don't have kings and queens like that anymore. I've never even respected an authority figure 1% of that much. <laughs> and that in itself is is sort of a fantasy. Like it's our 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 mythic imagination yeah of what kings and queens would be ferris says that the the attendants coming in and out of jen's room remind him of bees i was gonna bring that up too and how last chapter we were saying like you know roles and who does what and now ferris is into this quote unquote new beehive yeah and he's also not part of this place yeah yet yet and again with the uh, with the animal scene, he says the king's waiting room had like medallions at the corner, which I assume are is that a metal plate? I don't know. I didn't look it up, but it <laughs> feels right, right? Uh, that are carved with scenes of hunting. And he says, "I did not think it an odd choice at the time." Hmm, at the time, <laughs> ceiling medallion. That sounds right. It's like a molding okay like like what you see around a chandelier oh yeah in a in a modern context Uh uh-huh and speaking of like decorations uh ferris sees and describes the unified crest of the little peninsula right which is cool that is cool yeah it's a griffin and a lion with the lilies of Atolia in the middle, so lion's got to be Sunus because it's too much about Sophus being a lion, and then a griffin has to be Edis, don't you think? Mm, yeah. Things have really developed, like, they've really solidified with this whole thing. Yeah, they have a crest now, a design. Uh, it says in here that all three courts are at Atolia's palace for the wedding, and, like, they're all in this one room for the dinner. And Atolia, Sunus, and Edis are all going to swear fealty to Eugenides, who is right. above them all. We get a different view of Petrus in this chapter. Yeah. Who comes across really nicely. Uh, he's one of the few people who's kind to Ferris. He's gentle. He gives him medicine. Uh, when the attendants are, you know, bad-mouthing Ferris, he says he defends Ferris back to them. And he says something like, what is easy for you is not always easy for the rest of us. Yeah. Putting himself in a group with Ferris, not just Ferris by himself. And some stranger comes in the night with uh, lemon water for Ferris and visits and speaks with a strange accent. And then he hears that accent again yeah. when he's under the table. And he hears the Queen of Edis speaking to uh, somebody else who I'm not sure who we're supposed to understand that as. Is it Ornon? Uh, I don't know. I always kind of assume well i forgot ornan's existence so i always was just assuming it was a minister of war oh right right it could have been the minister of war weren't you the one who thought that ornan was going to be super important yeah i did him and his sheep Mm, 
I forget the timeline for when, I guess it's kind of ambiguous for when Ornine even comes back. Like, he's in this a little bit, like he's mentioned at the, at the trial, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, wait, no, we know. Don't. <laughs> he must come back around the time Melhavert leaves, right? Like, they exchange him back. That would make sense. Oh, yeah. right, he went to the Mean Empire. Yeah. And so he is not here right oh, now, right. So Yeah, okay. It would make it would make sense for it to be the Minister of War. Okay. Yeah. What do you imagine an Adesian accent sounding like? Do you have something hmm. that you picture? No, you mean like, I, I don't have any sort of like direct equivalent, but I don't know. I feel like they're always described as like deep voices and words that kind of string together. It's described here as like a rolling accent. I imagine it as sort of uh, like Yorkshire-ish. I have a lot of emotions about Jen's lost Adesian accent. Yeah. You know, you can understand he picks up the Aetolian accent to make friends in the Aetolian court, to get people on his side, whatever, to become Aetolian, and then even once he's popular, he's annexed, he still doesn't switch back. It's like he can't go backward in this way. No, yeah. He got to be annexed through being Aetolian, so he can't, you know, he can't really get rid of that. Except in moments like these of privacy. I imagine it fluctuating. Like when he's really upset, it would he would sound more Edesian. Mm. Or when he talks to Helen, probably. Yeah. I like that they're 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 kind of deep in conversation in this chapter. Because they're still so close. They've kept their relationship. Mm-hmm. That's his very special cousin sister friend. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Edith, um, I had a tiny detail I was a little bit focused on. Do you remember in The Thief? Like, there was some stuff about how, uh, well, you know, Jen was teasing Helen about her clothes and how, uh, like, they made her arms look like they were as long as her knees or something, 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 and that Edith felt that if she couldn't be beautiful, she had a, a duty to be ornate and she owed it to people or whatever. And then here, you know, Ferris concentrates on Atolia's dress because it's really ornate and embroidered and fancy. And then it says, oh, he just passes right by Edith's dress because it was just plain fabric with no embroidery. And then he hears her talking and the book moves on. But I was just interested by that little close, really close comparison. What do yeah. you think about that? I wish... Uh, I wish we got more of Edith because, like, she's on such a journey and we barely see it, you know? Yeah. It's always, yeah, she's very much on the edges. Yeah, I mean, like, she she might be feeling more secure in her throne and so she, she doesn't have to do a lot of the stuff that she might have done earlier because she felt like she had to. Yeah. She's being more herself. But you can and also... There's all that doubt about the throne for Edith, though. With, like, the trial, she says right here. Cleon's called for a trial contest. Yeah. Jen. Because, yeah, and then, just, you can you also know, see it as a as representing, like, Edith's disadvantaged position. I was going to say that, too. You know, maybe she's trying not to outshine Atolia. Yeah. Just clothes, clothes have been an important symbol in the rest of the series. So, I just... It's interesting. You know, all the, f- the fake pockets and there's so much said about how Jen hides behind his clothes and, you know, maybe Edith is doing some of that. Yeah. Trying to, you know, be underestimated like Jen does. I don't know. 
Or maybe she's feeling um, resentful of the whole circus. You know what I mean? Maybe, yeah. And this is, like, it's supposed to be a very joyful time. Mm. Soon as Anita's just got married. Yeah, and they're about to have a huge ceremony the next day. And Ferris points out that even his own clothes were, like, the nicest thing he's ever seen in his life. And Geridius was the apple of his mother's eye and never had anything like this. And Rather than sit at the table... Um, Ferris, he, he ducks underneath the table and he sits underneath the table for the whole dinner. Mm-hmm. And um, Jen notices this and he kind of just lets it happen because he says, people love a dancing bear. Nobody wants to be one. So he, he really, like, he gets right away what Ferris is doing. Yeah. And I think this is maybe the first time Jen makes a, what we can see as a direct comparison between the two of them. Remember, he compares himself to a dancing bear, like, all the time. Yeah. In Queen of Atolia and a little bit in King of Atolia. And as for, for comparisons between them, when Ferris notices that Jen is missing a hand, one of the things that he thinks is that, well, he couldn't have been born without a hand. Yeah. Because presumably, otherwise, he wouldn't have become king. He must have lost it. And so Ferris, like, he thinks, well... He is in some way like me, but he is not that much like me. I'm in a kind of a different category. Mm -hmm. He talks a lot about pain in this chapter. Yeah. He's got, he both is sick in this chapter with a sore throat, and he has a a lot of chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to see that throughout. Yeah, he says that he's very used to getting ill. He gets ill very often. Mm Mm-hmm. But that Melisandi was always there. Okay. Also, oh my god, Noel, you know, I was saying, like, wow, how did they, like, not think of taking someone to raise him? Why wasn't Melisandi brought? She doesn't like the Susas. She doesn't like the Arandides. Yeah. I mean, like, she was, she was Marina's nurse, so, like, maybe she likes Marina and cares about the family, but, like... It's because she... no one's allowed to have a mom. Yeah, that's why. No moms. That's it. No mom zone. <laughs> you know... Had she been here, I think she would have curtailed the plot, <laughs> honestly. You know, he wouldn't, have, he would have had supervision and he wouldn't have been able to run around doing all this stuff. Because, I mean, as it is, Ferris is essentially just thrown into adulthood. Yeah. And they, he- they give him, they're like, hmm, hello, child. Now you have a job. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, Relius points out. It's not like they're totally unaware of that, but weird the way they go about it. Yeah. Oh, this is too bad and shouldn't be happening to you, but uh, we're doing it anyway for <laughs> no reason. <laughs> Nothing we can do about it. Oops. Um, that is kind of what Jen's childhood was like. Maybe part of this can be boiled down to uh, the conception of childhood in this culture is very different from ours anyway. Yeah. You know, I don't think it lasts as long. I don't think it's as sheltered. It really makes me wonder what are Jen and Irene going to do for their kids? I know. Because, you know... I don't know. I identify with these characters so much. I'm like, of course they would be sleeping with the kids in the bed with them just like I would. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. they're busy. <laughs> they need eight hours of sleep. <laughs> Maybe we'll see you in a short story someday. Yes. He eats the chicken and brings it back to his room and then throws the bones down the air shaft. <laughs> Where does that go? It goes into some random hole too small to be retrieved where it's gonna rot forever and then stink up the airspace (laughs) and then haunt him for the rest of the book (laughs) (laughs) 
It is interesting to think that air shafts are probably part of the secret network of passages Jen once crawled through when he was small enough. We got the hypocausts, we got the air shafts. Like, We're set. Uh, like crawling through the vents in a heist movie. <laughs> we get way more physical descriptions of people than we have pretty much ever gotten before. Yeah. In this. I've been thinking that too, you know, it feels like there's more in this chapter than there is in like the whole previous yeah. five books. <laughs> and uh, who is it that Ion comes in and he's got his hair yeah. in his hand and he's looking for a hair tie? Yeah. It definitely really enhances the world building it makes them seem more like real people more like a real environment why do you think the shift is there is it supposed to tell us something about ferris as a narrator or about the world that we haven't gotten before or you know what i think is related to that Mm -hmm. is when he's under the table and he's looking at the embroidery at the very bottom on the hem of Atolia's dress. Mm-hmm. He thinks about how he wonders if anybody but him will ever see that. Yeah. And I think, like, Ferris is, is in a position where he notices things that other people don't, or he remembers things that other people don't, or he yeah. thinks things are important that other people don't. This event is not COVID safe. <laughs> they all greet each other with kisses. Everybody's packed in there. Oh, also, tiny sentence. Uh, the, the dinner went on for what seemed like hours. The music was dull. There were no speeches. I'm sorry. There were speeches and no dancing afterward and worse, no storyteller. We were robbed of storytellers? There's, 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 we'll talk about it later, but there's only one story slash inserted text thingy poem in this book, right? I think so, yeah. I was surprised. Yeah, I don't think and we ever do we ever see a public storyteller anywhere. Uh, I don't think we do. I don't think so. But I feel like that makes sense because all of the stories in this series are personal and relevant and and told by some specific person for some specific reason, I guess. Mm, yeah. But we'll have to keep thinking about that later. Like why don't more myths come up? Okay, another tiny question. God's damn it, said Hilarion behind me too late. Sometime after that, the king said over his shoulder, Sotis, where is my little Arandides? So, Noel, tell me, how is this room set up? The tables. So, okay, we have long tables, it says, and we have a high table. Um, and then, so, okay, we have the high table. We assume the kings and queens are set on one side because Ferris can look out the other side and he's not like struggling between two people when he's under the table. So they must be looking out of the room, but then are the attendants eating like kind of hidden from sight behind them? Or is Sodas just behind the king for that minute bringing like lamb or something? Which doesn't really make sense because it says servants are bringing in trays of food. Yeah. But I was like, I don't think it makes sense for the attendants' tables to be behind them, but then why is he saying it over his shoulder maybe the attendants are at the high table and the the kings and queens are just in the center yeah but also you would would think that like important dignitaries would be up there and helen is speaking to somebody else probably the minister of war who's also there and how big could this table possibly be yeah i mean it was it says uh that um the seating order is 
some guy next to Edis, Edis, Eugenides, and then that uh, Sophos was on the far side of Atolia, so Atolia and Jen have to be next to each other, so if the attendants were at the high table, I think they'd still be too far away for Jen to speak over his shoulder. So, you know, another tiny thing that doesn't matter, <laughs> and we'll never find out, but... Can we I, get a diagram of the room, please? <laughs> Again, something, a small detail that doesn't matter. But it, uh, Ferris narrates a whole paragraph about, just like before when Jen was on the outs with everyone, they do the whole song and dance of bringing back a million items of clothing back and forth and back and forth until Jen picks something. We assume, <laughs> what do you think that's about? You know, like, wouldn't he just assume? Like, some of the items went by more than once. I saw a gold sash twice and a blue one four times. Eventually, the back and forth slowed down and the king strolled out. Okay, so, like, I don't feel he's really as vain and time-wasting as to send an item of clothing four times before deciding. So what do you think it's about? Like, I, th I think he has some sort of motive. Maybe something will show up later and we'll be like, oh, we forgot that it's to do with such and such a thing. Yeah. But I think that if I were to to hazard a guess just looking at this chapter, uh, I would think that, like, maybe it's not that he's that vain, but it's like a control thing. Yeah. You know? Like, there's not Part a of lot the image. that he can control, but he can send that scarf back like even though he's king and everyone will do exactly what he says all the time like he can't do a lot of things for personal reasons mm. um what he wears is like i can i can do what i want you know like, yeah. like the i can do whatever i want in in king of atolia is sort of ironic because like he can't yeah he's like hugely limited the clothes are this small thing of personal choice, and so he'll he'll hem and haw about them because he can. Yeah. And as I'm thinking about it more, too, you know, I'm thinking back to the Sun King here, who's getting dressed and getting undressed for a court event, you know, it's, it's another way of showing I'm so important that I can keep ten fancy noblemen at my beck and call to bring me my scarf for an hour. Yeah. Like, I can waste everyone's time on this tiny thing because I'm that important and all that, whatever. Because it's a part of the... And also, I guess maybe he's still... You know, he plays a lot on that vain reputation to, you know, make himself seem like an idiot to the Medes and all that. So I'm sure this helps build into that, too. Yeah, because he's not necessarily performing for the attendants anymore, but the attendants then talk to other people who talk to other people. Right. Yeah. chapter two that's chapter two next time fancy ceremony also jen's birthday but we don't even find that out in this chapter <laughs> <laughs>
Send us your comments, questions, and thoughts. Chime in at atolianarchives.tumblr.com. Be blessed in your endeavors. Thank you for listening. This has been an Amateur Embroidery production. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available.